welcome back to the Midweek Debrief Season 2. I'm Jasper and I ride a black Triumph Scrambler 900. Here's how it sounds. I'm Jed and I ride a straight pipe Triumph Bonneville. Here's how it sounds. Join us each week as we catch up, discuss the latest headlines in the biking world, tackle a topic and answer your questions. We also have some exciting guest interviews lined up for this season, so stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Motone Customs. If you're like us and you're always looking for the next custom part for your bike, Motone has loads on offer, from headlight to taillight and everything in between. With daily worldwide dispatch, Motone are here to cater for all your custom needs. Check out what's on offer at www.motone.co.uk. We are so excited to be bringing on our second guest of season two, Will Hatlapper. As well as a good friend, Will is a freelance photographer based in London, focusing primarily on motorcycle and lifestyle content. Having worked his way up, he's been involved in large photo shoots with internationally recognised brands such as Triumph. Stay tuned as we hear about how Will found his love for two wheels, what his first bike was, how he got into the industry, as well as some insights you may not have heard before. Will is also a proud owner of an air-cooled Triumph Scrambler 900, if you've seen any Urban Rider advert, you'll recognise his bike. Like many, he rides his bike every day, come rain or shine, and has done some epic trips on it, always with his camera on his shoulder. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Midweek Debrief. We have a very special guest coming on. It's Will Hatlapper. How are you, Will? Very well. Very happy to be here. It's such a pleasure to have you on. You're our first guest who is a creative. Yes. What an honour. I'm sure there's plenty more to come. Yeah, 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 I think so. But one of the things that when we started this podcast and, and we wanted to have guests on is that we wanted to give a platform to people who maybe wouldn't necessarily have a chance to tell the world, i.e. our midweek debrief yeah. listeners. Our world. Our, our world. Our world, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, what it's like to do what you do. And so I think before we get into that, it'd be great to hear kind of where things began for you bike-wise. Yeah. Well, I grew up in the countryside, just off Salisbury Plain, which I know you guys, yeah. you, you're fond of. Yeah, down in Wiltshire. I mean, always been on sort of skateboards, mountain bikes, pedal bikes, all that sort of stuff. And then one day, my friend, I think we were sort of 11 or 12, my friend and his dad bought um, a couple of motocross bikes and chucked me on it. And that was, that was it. I wanted to be on a bike. Yeah. Even though the first time he said, right, so release this slowly, turn this even slower. That's obviously clutch and accelerator. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really clock it and I just let go of the clutch, banged on the gas and did a wheelie. Didn't fall off, but uh, I was pretty, pretty terrified. Yeah, it's funny that, isn't it? Because when we've all taught someone how to yeah. ride a bike and everyone goes about it the same way. It's like, right, this is, you know, it's so hard to explain it in yeah. a simple way. I did it with my girlfriend it. in Ibiza, which was, I was on the back. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, Arms oh. around her. Oh, perfect. Sort of guiding her through it. And it's, um, it's a terrifying moment for any first, first timer. So that first time on the bike just gave you the bug. Yeah, even though it was a sort of a terrifying chuck into that kind of world and I definitely didn't do it right and I didn't change gear for the first like half an hour. Yeah. I was hooked on the the idea of it. And it's the adrenaline as well, I think. I think, uh, yeah, adrenaline. In the beginning. And freedom. Yeah. Of, this was literally in the middle of soldier playing fields for as far as you can see. And you could just, get, obviously I was in first gear for all of it. So. <laughs> 
but after a while i got it i got used to the gears and the changing but it was just like you just go yeah and as a whatever you are like 13 year old it's a great feeling just dossing around in a field on a bike and you don't have any concept of the cost of the petrol because the dad's paying for it whatever he doesn't care and then you just go and go and go and it's, it's brilliant so yeah that was my that was my start to biking at what point did you then move to london were you did you get your first bike when you moved to london uh pretty much yeah so actually i only moved to london uh when i was 20 25 uh, so the first couple of years after school, I was traveling, did the sort of Southeast Asia, New Zealand um, combo where my dad lives in Thailand and he has a load of motorbikes as well. So while I was out there, I was riding his bike. I can't remember what it was, so don't ask me. <laughs> it was a pretty powerful sort of um, highly looking Honda, which I know is super vague. You guys are very good with was your it, bike. Was it Honda Shadow? don't ask me <laughs> it could have been. Could we'll, have, we'll been. have to google some images but it was a harley looking um honda uh, and obviously this was my first sort of experience on the road in bangkok so no, no license no license that's got to be chaos <laughs> chaos everywhere if you try and follow any sort of form of western road rules you, you're going to crash you're going to upset someone yeah i was riding a lot in bangkok getting used to hectic road conditions on mm. a fairly powerful bike and because presumably most other people in Bangkok are on tiny little scooters and Honda yeah. Cubs, etc. Yeah, exactly. What's it like being on a bigger bike in that kind of environment? Would you say that's oh, beneficial? Brilliant. Yeah. yeah, I loved it. Yeah. You just give it uh, give it the rev and they're, they're just sort of tucked in on their little scooter and they're far better riders than I ever could be because they're just intrinsically, they're born into this sort of chaos. Yeah. Um, and I'm there taking it very cautiously. But then if I get annoyed with someone, you give it the beans or you you know rev it a bit and um yeah they kind of get out of your way that's um that's got to be quite an aggressive learning curve yeah but my ride. dad was very impressed my dad's obviously completely irresponsible but he was very <laughs> impressed uh he was like yeah you, you you belong on two wheels so i was like yeah i do <laughs> <laughs> thanks dad um so yeah that was so through traveling i was um i was on two wheels a lot and then i went out to africa a few times i was working and traveling um i was on a motocross bike you know, through coffee farms and stuff like that. So that was basically the whole time I was, I was riding and I decided to, when I came back to England, I didn't go straight in for the motorcycle license. This was my mother talking. She said, no effing way. Are we allowed to swear on the podcast? Yeah, it's fine. No, that, I think that, that's borderline swearing. <laughs> okay. No, no effing way. Um, you can, you can drive first. Um, so she made me drive for a, a year, maybe two years before I did the motorcycle license. And then I was old enough to do my direct license. So jump straight into, yeah, you know, the, the full whack. And, um, so you didn't think about doing a CBT first. No, obviously you have to, before yeah. you do the big yeah. license and get it done. But, um, no, I didn't, didn't do the sort of one, two, five entry for a year. Is it a year now? Yeah. Well, you, um, no, I mean, you can do your CBT and then go and do your, Full you license straight away, but right. you can have a CBT for as long as you want. I mean, but you have to uh, yeah. replenish it every two years, I think. That's it. Yeah, two yeah. years. So yeah, I um, jumped straight on to the 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 full full whack and got my dream bike straight away. I'm denied a little bit. Okay, uh, so wait, let's just take a step back. So yeah, where did the dream? I'm, get, I'm guessing you're talking about the Triumph Scrambler. Mm -hmm. So where did the dream for that come about? Um, this is a good question. Actually, I think I can trace it back to. Um, before my gap year, I was, um, 
trying to convince my mum that I was going to do my motorcycle license first and we've, you know I'll do my driving license but retrospectively I'll do it whenever yeah want to get a bike she's like well no that's not going to happen and I was like well no look at this and I just showed her examples of bikes and guys on bikes and it was you know the Steve McQueen-esque and it just kind of channeled into this focus on triumphs and then when I was out and on my gap year in Thailand, my dad is also kind of obsessed with Triumphs. Didn't own any, but was obsessed with them. Um, and so we were sort of just window shopping, load of Triumphs. And I think initially it started as a Bonneville and then I wanted a Thruxton and then I got hooked on the Scrambler idea. And obviously my first experience with a bike was off-road. So I kind of like the Scrambler look. Mm. And I, you know, I love the, I mean, they're all the same bikes, aren't they? Let's be honest, yeah, pretty, essentially yeah. the same bike. So what year is this when you are looking for your first proper bike? Um, get an idea of perspective. Always a good question. I think we are 2014. 2014, okay. And is your bike 2014? Did you buy it new is what I'm trying to get? No, no, no. No? No. I've, I've had, or my bike's had six owners. Really? Okay, so it's had quite a few. That's, that's a lot of changes. Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, it concerned me. I actually only recently checked it. <laughs> obviously well, you check when you buy it yeah and that was a few years ago so i forgot about it and then i was renewing the the um insurance or i can't remember what i was doing i was checking something and i saw uh seven previous or six previous owners i was like oh it's quite like you said short space of time to have so yeah, many so almost a couple of sales every year isn't it it's yeah. been looked after maybe they just didn't like it and use it as well as i can so yeah no it's good to see a bike like that getting used i think yeah so you bought the bike and did you modify it straight away or was it already pretty much how you wanted it? Um, no, I modified, I, you know, the usual tail tidy yeah. indicators, uh, brace bars. And I had, I rocked the grandpa seat for a while just cause I couldn't afford a nice seat. <laughs> yeah. And then I was sort of window shopping everywhere and found the down and out guys did a cool rack and, um, sort of. I'd say single seat. It can fit two people, but it is a slightly it's shorter a seat. It's a squeeze. Yeah. So saved up and, and grabbed that. And yeah. And so at this point, you've moved to London. Yeah. You've, you've got the scrambler. Whereabouts are you living? Um, at this time, I'm living in Fulham. Yeah, nice. Uh, so I thought, you know, pretty safe with a bike. Yeah. <laughs> I was on the street for most of the time. And then I managed to convince my friend to, uh, I could wheel it in the front front garden. Oh yeah, through a gate, and then it was obviously even safer. There's, there's nowhere is safe. If a bike thief wants your bike, they they will find a way. They'll find a way. Yeah, even if you're in Fulham, you know Greenwich, wherever you are, if it they is. catch, they you know they see your bike and they want it, they'll they'll take it. So security wise, was it just sort of chained up? Chains, I think one chunky chain around a post, and then um, a small one around the back back wheel and the and cover, a cover yeah. and then um, an alarm dislock. That's like the best you can do, really, isn't it? Yeah, in obviously tracker. Yeah, happy days. Yeah. And so, is this when you started working at Urban Rider? This was, yeah. So, actually, Urban Rider was. Um, I moved back from Germany. I was living in Germany. Moved back, and sort of what brought me to London, or what got me up to London, was um, a job at Urban Rider. So I was sort of fresh into the motorcycle world, especially in London, and yeah, working in a company that basically surrounded me with the best people best advice or lots of advice lots of opinions all the all the gear to hand and so what was the job um description was it literally working behind the till or was it started they started me off in the shop which is great sort of learning everything learning the business 
pretty much from the ground up and then with a promise to get into the content side because obviously that was my main goal and after some time in the shop and helping a bit in the warehouse they sort of slowly soft launched me into the content team and I was assisting um, the photographer at the time on shoots and and sort of post-production of content um, all the while working in the shop every now and again so awesome and so before we go into the content side of things where did the love of photography start where did that come from that started a while back to be honest i feel like i'm it all kicked off in my gap year that's where i think i've sort of everything yeah sparked but i've always been fairly creative and um i did art gcse art a level photography a level i'm obviously not highly academic (laughs) by the sounds of it um, but no, I, I sort of always been slightly more creative and I found the passion for photography, ironically, after A-levels. A-levels were it's just a dodgy experience, for, to be honest. And then on my gap year, I um, picked up my dad's camera out in Thailand while I was traveling with a bike, some amazing scenery, and you're 18 and you're just, you're seeing a whole different side of the world. And then you're tapping into your sort of creative side of things it just kind of all clicked together and photography i sort of i think i came back from a bit of a trip on a bike with his camera plugged it into the his computer back at his house going through them images were shit but you know i enjoyed it and i was like i think i remember saying this is what i want to do wow so that's that's where the two passions sort of they merged. collided and they yeah it kind of all sparked in in bangkok which is on my gap year for the camera enthusiasts listening what camera was it that you were using at this time that your dad had given you my dad was using a d800e or something one of the full frame top of the top of the line at the time full frame nikons um, and then a sort of array of lenses yeah i mean somewhere along the way you you try and make it a try and make your hobby or your passion your career yeah that's the dream, that's the dream. for a lot of people and obviously there were i could sit here for hours and tell you the full full story i basically did a load of internships and apprenticeships as it were in um in london yeah. hated it because none of my friends were in london it's a very lonely place when you're on your own sort of 18 19 um working for nothing obviously um but learning a lot and then i got an internship in germany which was that took me out there for two years in a photo studio doing fashion photography um and that was the first experience of being paid for photography um which was amazing it felt great and then through that i went sort of dabbled in the freelance world in germany didn't really get any traction didn't have a strong enough network so um yeah i moved back to london got the job at urban rider with the intention to be their content and photographer and you know maybe do some freelance on the side but that was fairly naive back then because obviously i was just establishing myself so took some time i worked at urban rider for a bit and and sort of developed a network and met you guys and did the Malay events and um, yeah, my photography developed and my style and niche developed to the point where I think it was ready to, uh, I was ready to do freelance photography. What was your first freelance gig in London? You may have heard of him, um, Andrea, AA Vision. Really? Uh... He hired me to shoot a, um, I believe it was David Beckham's new latest perfume. I wasn't shooting David Beckham by any means. Um, I was shooting Andrea and he was, I think he was on a Thruxton R, Triumph had lent him a Thruxton R. 
we went out to um some woodland in Essex or near Essex and the most inappropriate bike to take through the woods but we did it we took some photos of this perfume and oh what you were off-road <laughs> no kind of yeah it's like muddy green lane track right, through right, wood right. and then we're like oh in there looks kind of cool probably in the wood like leaves everywhere sticks everywhere um he's posted it way back and i posted it on our instagrams as well so i'm sure if you're interested you would find it yeah but yeah that was my first freelance job photography job awesome and then back to urban rider mm. keep working there and then would you say your main brand that you've worked with is triumph yes i'd say so yeah my main my main well main client so far has mm. been triumph i'm very grateful for them they're a great team and obviously we all ride triumphs and we we love the brand so working for them and with them is is yeah it's an honor so what sort of work have you done for them i shot their autumn winter 2022 collection it's for the lifestyle clothing for the lifestyle clothing uh a few yeah last year just to be clear i shot the incidentals so everything you see on the social media sometimes in their website sometimes in their sort of newsletters they send out and i've shot actually their autumn winter 2023 collection which is not yet out and no spoilers <laughs> well um, we were hoping for a few which we'll get in a second but yeah what, just tell us a bit about what it's like behind the scenes at one of these shoots because you know obviously we're kind of in the we're in the sort of hemisphere of, of biking but even yeah. we don't really yeah. get to experience that side of things let alone yeah. the we can see the just, face of it yeah, yeah exactly so what, where do these things take place how long do they go on for what's it like so the last two shoots have been um two-day shoots sometimes I mean, when they initially approach you they're sort of figuring it all out and it could be three days uh, then they sort of narrow it down make it two-day shoots um make it as concise as they can and it it's just good fun it's sort of they obviously get professional models in for these shoots they like to use customer bikes and sort of bikes that are not they have access to fresh bikes off the off the factory floor they don't want that for these shoots they'll ask you guys you know do you want to lend us your bike for a shoot and that's actually how i got the first first gig is i lent my bike for the shoot and i also said by the way by the way <laughs> <laughs> i take photos yeah so they they use um custom bikes you know some of them are quite rusty and old and tatty some are the newer ones so in the most recent autumn winter shoot there was a triumph street scrambler like 2019 very new but had some custom mods mm. and had been used so it looked looked fairly decent and are the, the models that they're using are they bikers no or so so far i think one of them was sort of into bikes and had i think he's had a bike in the past but he was never no none of them are yeah. riders because one of the questions that i really wanted to ask was because it's something that I've found when you try and photograph someone that's not a biker and they swing a leg over a bike, trying to get them to look natural is actually really hard. And you think it's just yeah. about sitting on it. But when you ride, you know how you put the foot peg on, you know how you're, you know the stance. Whereas yeah. I think sometimes when I look at, and it's not just Triumph, you look at all these brands and they've clearly hired people who probably yeah. haven't ridden before. And they might be wearing the kit and on the bike that's cool. Yeah, yeah. But the way they're sitting on it, you just know as a biker that yeah. they're not one. Yeah. It, it's quite obvious but i mean the the guys on the triumph shoot they do a good job they look they look great in the gear they mm -hmm. look great with the bikes obviously i don't think they try and put them on the bikes too often for yeah. these shoots yeah because of that and it's fairly 
you know, it's fairly obvious when they when they sit on and they sort of put their feet up on the on the engine guards instead of the foot pegs. You know, <laughs> that's not where it goes. Um, <clears throat> but no, the, the the guys on the Triumph shoot were, are great, and they sort of just they're very respectful of the bikes as well. They don't want to drop them or scratch yeah. them, so they just they do as they're told and they look good doing it. So. And how much free reign do you have personally in that environment? I mean, have you got some runner saying, get this, we need this, we need that, we need that, or are you more or less independent? Uh, so my main contacts with, with Triumph and on these shoots, Helen and Trudy, who I think you guys are yeah. you've met, and they're, they're great, those two. Um, they are my go-to on the shoots. They help me style the clothes and style the shots, and obviously they have their, their way of doing things and what they like and what they want to see and what they don't want to see. I say on the first time, the first shoot, I was very much with them, working with them quite closely and asking, is this okay? Do you like that? Before I took any pictures. And then slowly throughout that shoot, they sort of just let me, let me do my thing. They could see that I was doing it well and what they yeah. wanted. And then this most recent one, it was sort of like, we trust you, do your thing. Obviously they were still about and they helped me style some things and, you know, what t-shirt goes well with what jacket and should you put those boots in? Are they going to sell that scarf? No. So don't photograph it kind of thing. So, um, there's a lot of freedom. They, they seem to trust me. So I've, you know, grateful for the good. creative freedom. And is it pretty full on on these shoes? I mean, is it yeah. two days of just nonstop click, 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 click? To some extent. I mean, uh, the main photographer is obviously working with the models the whole time throughout the whole day. And he has the creative director with him on his shoulder. I can tell that's, you know, tiring. It's yeah. fun, but tiring. And then I have my quiet moment in the corner with just some hoodies and, you know, I can just set up a little nice, pretty looking shot and it's sort of, it's hard work, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's, you know, I can say <laughs> I'm exhausted after it and people born on nine to five would be like, you are pathetic. Just get a grip. You're doing something that everyone would love to do in their spare time. So I'm not going to complain too much. And are you shooting on a uh, DSLR or a mirrorless camera for these? Uh, both. I'm a mix, keen mix of both. I'm using the Fuji um, X-Pro system, which is mirrorless, and then Nikon full frame. And any film? Uh, so I actually brought a film camera to the last shoot, the last Triumph shoot, and I um, I jammed it. I loaded the film and I, I, I fucked oh, it. Yeah. So thing. I wanted to take some really nice film shots for some you know, behind-the-scenes aesthetic yeah. and... Uh, yeah, I screwed it on that one. But I use film every every now and again, but more for sort of hobby photography just yeah. on the side. Because film's quite expensive. It's expensive to buy, develop, and it's obviously a bit more time consuming. But yeah, you know, it's it's a nice format to use. One of the questions I had for you is, obviously you love shooting bikes, but you've done a bunch of uh, projects with other brands that mm. have no uh, relation to bikes whatsoever. Do you have yeah. to kind of... So it feel like you're switching caps quite a lot when you're doing different projects with yeah sometimes it's um especially if they're so close back to back two different shoots you're very much like um you need to sort of i need to remember that i'm not shooting bikes or this kind of aesthetic and then you obviously have to listen to a, black, uh, a brand's um sort of debrief and and make sure it's on you know on their their vision board as it were so yeah, I'm switching caps, but it, that's the beauty of it. So it never really gets boring. Very, very grateful for that sort of mix up and constant change and working with different brands, different kind of products. Here's another thing. So mm. when we were at the beach race last year, you yeah. you, you took a bunch of photos yeah, and some photos. of them were fantastic. Some. 
Thank you. Well, I mean, no, you've got to be generous. <laughs> um, but what I was going to say, and this is this is the generous bit, is that the colours were just fantastic. Yeah. And this is not just the beach race, but also at the Malimar. There are yeah. some awesome shots you took of Jed Thank and I. You. We were yeah. bolting up that that road. That was good fun. That day. how do you how have you developed your own style when it comes to colours? That's a good question. That's a very good question. I'm not sure to be honest. Without giving away too much about yeah, the, yeah, um, this is, recipe. Yeah, <laughs> secrets, trade secrets. No, not at all. I just, I see it how I, you know, I, I see the photo as I take it in the camera and I can see where the colors should be. In, in my head, it's very hard to explain. I'm not sure mm -hmm. if it's making any sense, but I just see the feel of it. And obviously I have my, my, my style and it's sort of a, my baseline and I won't really deviate from that too much unless a brand or client wants to. So from that, I see different sort of vibes and colors and scenarios where um, my edit will obviously alter between the two. So the beach race is very, um, well, I love the black and white and the beach race. The black and white uh, look for me when slightly grainy, so the film look works really well on the beach race. But then in the Mali Mai with all that dust and you've got the sort of the green fields you've got the the dust kicking up you've got your bikes and you're wearing like fuel gear with the yeah. bright red uh jersey i yeah. think it was yeah and you've got those epic goggles on with the sort of yellowy orange tint it just you know you sort of slightly wash out the the dust make it sort of white and, and creamy as it were and then you pop those reds it just yeah add a bit of grain oh, everyone loves a bit of those are some grain. of my favorite shots and from then the yeah you just you kind of as you're taking it or as i'm taking these photos i just kind of see the colors where they where they should be and yeah go go from there okay another really quick question as it just pops into my mind so when you talk about adding grain it seems as though at least in our space mm. that's something that everyone's really doing quite a lot is almost kind of like retrofitting the film look to yeah. digital photos is that something that's happening in most industries or is that quite unique to the biking world no, no that's that's everywhere that's yeah, yeah. i think probably more so in the fashion fashion world yeah. because uh, back in the day when film was the only option they did these massive campaigns and editorial campaigns on film and they look fantastic um some of the old calvin klein shoots and some you know there are some amazing campaigns out there and nowadays when film is the cheaper quicker more reliable option digital digital we got your back <laughs> digital is the better option but they want that look it's very easy, or well not very easy, but it's it's doable to shoot in on digital and then, you know, put on the film aesthetic. Yeah, awesome. And then going back to your bike currently, we want to hear the plans you've yes. got for the next stage <laughs> of the build. And take a long sip of tea for this one. So yeah. I think I think it'll be good to explain to the listeners the current state of the bike, what it looks like, what bits it has on it, yeah. um, to give them an idea of sort of the base you're starting with right yeah so triumph scrambler 900 uh, matte blue i guess you call it matte blue aluminium brushed aluminium fenders front and rear brace bars stocky chunky sort of scrambler old scrambler seat with a rack on the back with high pipes at the moment that's so it's, the base it's currently it's a good looking bike Thank i you. really like it but there's a few details in it that we have been itching to get into i'm all ears <laughs> tell me so the first thing we, we've got to kick it off we'll start at the front yeah is the new switch gear okay go on explain where did that come from ebay mate that's the where did the idea come from or where did the actual piece come from <laughs> well, well, both, 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 yeah. the actual piece came from ebay fantastic little piece of kit probably will break in a couple of months but we'll see 
No, I, I'm. You guys, I know you're the same. You want to clean the front end. Yeah. Like you get on these old '60s desert sleds, and they're just the brace bars, quite wide, quite high, no clock, just a small little headlight, probably yeah. even lower than the than the brace bars. You just have that, you know, that view, just the bars, and and maybe a bit of your front tire. That's the goal, right? Yeah. For your modern bike, but that's not practical. You need your clocks. You need a headlight. You need switch gears. So, without going, you know, and spending a fortune on getting the cables internally wired and and you know getting uh, momentary switch gear buttons, probably from Motone or Moto Gadget, I just looked at um, alternatives, cheaper alternatives that were a lot smaller than the stock switch gear, which is a massive block of plastic. Yeah, it is. It's you know, ugly. The size, size of this microphone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, on your handlebars, yeah, and it's just ugly for me. I just want to get rid of it, so I found a cheaper alternative. It's not long-term solution. It's a until it breaks, and then I'll probably fork out for some more Motown or something. Motown, yeah, probably. Yeah. So yeah, that's just where the idea came from. Just trying to clean the front end, make it as as naked as possible, without obviously ruining the functionality of it. So. And then what are your plans for the exhaust? Because currently you've got the two into two yeah, scorpion. Yeah. yeah, two into two high pipe scorpion. You know, it's not made anymore. Yeah. Not sure why, because obviously these bikes are fairly popular. They could be, you know, churning them out. Churning them out. Um, same as the arrow, right? They're not made. Yeah, well, but know, to be fair, just... the arrow was a factory fitted part. Was so, it? Yeah, yeah. So it was like, you know how now when you go and buy a, um, a, triumph, a street scramble or something, you get the Vance and Hines mm, that you can mm. add from. A catalogue option, isn't it? Uh, and that's also why they're so hard to get hold of because I think it might be part of the legislation that if you know if Arrow have, have sold themselves out as the the catalog um, partner, mm. they can't then just go and flog them themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Triumph almost have the rights over that. Yeah. I think. Well, it's very smart from Triumph. Yeah. Slightly annoying for anyone who wants to buy an Arrow. Though. True. You have to buy a whole bike with an Arrow on it. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. So I've got the Scorpion two into two. <sighs> Listen. I listened to your podcast last week. I know you don't like it. I don't. No, we don't not like it. We don't not like it. It's the end, right? It's unique. It's the. No, it's fine, mate. We love it. I know. (laughs) I know you. No, no. It's um. It's fine. I love the sound out of it, and I love the two two into two high pipe look. If only I don't know why the um the end can is that boxy unit, but produces a great sound, and obviously the front the headers are. I like the shape and the sort of size of them. So I love and hate that exhaust and it's unfortunately made out of mild steel as well. So it rusts like a, yeah, you know, very quickly. The plan is to whack on a tech parts two yeah. into one tracker system. That's what I had. Which you had, yeah. yeah. And you put it on yourself or you bought the- I bought the bike with yeah. it. And to be honest, I had no complaints from that exhaust yeah. at all. It sounded good. It looked good. The only thing is, obviously, I'd come off the bike a few times, and that's mm. when it started rattling rattle. and buzzing. And... Yeah, I remember I went for a ride with you in the end of summer, and it was just like yeah. backfiring like crazy. Yeah. So it, it from the the two crashes I'd had, it knocked the pipes on the side and sort of wiggled them around enough that it could blow the gaskets out of the head. Mm. So I had leaky gaskets. Yeah, and that's why it was backfiring. Yeah. So swap that out. But no, it's a great bit of kit. Yeah. So you're just going to fit that straight on? Yeah. So obviously for the Bonnies, they work perfectly. For the Scrambler, there's some tinkering you need to yeah. do to them to get them on. Uh, but once they're on, they look great. And I think Tech are a fantastic brand. And they um, 
some of their parts are you know fantastic and really really competitively priced so very happy to be putting that product on um, i must say that it doesn't stop there yeah i'm not a huge fan of the end can again on the tech, the tech. yeah no, i agree with you on that because it's quite it's it's a bit short but it's also quite round at the end yeah it, it looks it's a bit, like a stubby cigar it is yeah um but the plan for me eventually a sort of you know ongoing plan would be to chop off the end can and get a reverse cone yeah nice on the end and sort of a shorter reverse cone on the end so then going from the high pipe to the low pipe yeah is this part of a process of turning your bike into something a bit different from a scrambler yeah so this is a point of contention for a lot of my colleagues at urban rider for you guys you know i've bought a scrambler it says scrambler on it uh do i take it scrambling i, I mean once or twice when i'm at home near the salisbury plane i take yeah. it up on the plane but you know not to the same extent you guys do and most times at the beach race or Manning mile i'm shooting I'm, I'm not really racing so the high pipes for me are they can stay or go it, I'm, I'm not bothered by it as long as there are sort of chunky tires on it that's jacked up a bit higher um it's got that sort of old scrambler seat i think this tracker the low tracker exhaust especially with the new ncan fits the bike yeah and you know because i'm taking the high pipes off i have to replace the side covers and the side covers the only thing that says it's a scrambler it's true so take that off remove any evidence and then it's just like a tracker <laughs> and then hope that people don't know by the sound of the exhaust yeah yeah, yeah i mean now am i right in thinking that one of the reasons you're going low slung is to make the bike more well easier to have luggage on the back yeah exactly and this yeah, will be because you're going on a big trip soon is that right yeah big trip to spain we're a couple of mates and uh, we're going down um end of may and we're riding down to portsmouth for a ferry ferry across to bilbao Oh, so you're, you're missing out, France. France, yeah. Yeah, God, yeah. Yeah. That would be just a trip and a half. That but it's still, but yeah, you say that. that, but the 18 hour ferry to northern Spain is. Maybe you just kick back and relax. Pretty rocky, us, apparently. Sleep. Yeah, I've heard. It's, it can be. You yeah. don't get seasick, do you? I don't, no. Well, I mean, that's good. No, I'll be fine. Yeah, the ferry is, is going to be interesting. But I just, we decided, you know, weighing up the cost of a ferry return. Um, and the hours, petrol, you know, time spent getting through yeah, Spain. And the tolls. Yeah. Getting through road tolls. Yeah. Potential painful police, apparently. Yeah. Um, I think it's wise. I'd do the same. Yeah. You know, and it's just not unnecessary mileage on your bikes, but it's more mileage on your bikes that you yeah, don't true. have to put on. It's a very reasonable price ticket there and back uh, for you and your bike. And you probably spend the same, if not more, in petrol and tolls and accommodation as well and accommodation because you'd have to break up the journey probably you'd have at least a night maybe two if you want to take it easy and i have the luxury of some freelance but my two mates coming with me are are nine to five guys and they don't have the luxury of you know four weeks okay so top of spain then what's the plan is the plan literally just round spain and back or no no no. so we've got a route set out um and it sort of darts through the pyrenees down to diagonally to barcelona and then back up on ourselves um up the north coast and then pyrenees back to bilbao wow and how long is that going to take we have 13 days so, so you're going to be riding pretty much all day every day we're not going over 170 miles i think our longest day is 168 miles or something. It's quite manageable yeah that's all good 
yeah my two mates coming with me they're they're great riders they they love bikes but they as do i just want you you want a holiday like, you want to enjoy it yeah if you're doing 400 miles a day you're just sort of you're just sure. riding and then you're going to bed and then that's it <laughs> yeah what bikes are they going to be on so we've got rupert on the triumph bonneville t100 yeah. and rory on the scram street scrambler what a lineup yeah yeah i always get the street scrambler slash scrambler i disagree with the name street scrambler but yeah that's a bit of a contradiction no we've discussed yeah. that on previous episodes yeah. don't worry you, yeah. we've got you covered <laughs> nice now should we get some questions in yeah let's do it we so we uh put out on our instagram that we were having a photographer on we didn't name you but anyway they've asked you a bunch of questions and some of which are quite interesting so first one is from paul lagan now he's asking how do you ignore people looking at you and making funny comments out on the street when you're shooting i don't i nibble very hard <laughs> no it depends what their comment is um if they're trying to move me on and kick me out of there out of that location yeah yeah i don't put up a fuss but i sort of i question it i think we were out the other day yeah, actually, we, experienced we got the moved other day. out on a, a private a road, private road in yeah inverted commas um so we were we you know we asked the right questions we weren't assholes about it but no. yeah it's i can get quite self-conscious when i'm taking photos in a quite a busy area but mm. I'm just, I'm doing my job slash having fun, doing the thing I like to do. So, I mean, London's great. Most of the time people mind their own business. Yeah. But occasionally there's, you know. I think we've all experienced it at some point. Yeah. Maybe we have. Question from Bruno C. Photo. Now he's saying tips for photographers too. What actually works in the motorbiking world versus other genres? That's sadly something you probably have to work out yourself through trial and error. Photography is very, and videography. And most things created to be honest are very much trial and error you um you try something if it clicks it clicks if it doesn't you sort of move on try something else but i you know always take inspiration from you know guys well established in that industry see what they're doing and you know put your own spin on it sweet now one from the london interceptor who is a, a keen uh, regular questioner. questioner he is indeed so he's saying what's the best angle to photograph a motorcycle as on a bike you know got jed's bike yep. with a few dents in the tank on the right side <laughs> bit, a bit of character bit yeah of character we'll call it character and corrosion right yeah uh, <laughs> the two c's <laughs> and you don't want that you obviously you turn around take it from the other side but yeah often depends on the location what you're doing i like to photograph slightly lower or level with the bike that sort of eliminates background like headlines sort of height. yeah exactly that's my preferred angle but obviously again everyone's different and wants to do it slightly differently i think location also plays a huge factor in which angle you're going to shoot 100 yeah it also might be tight for space and angles so you've yeah. just got to do what works also every bike has a you know their good side a good bad side, side yeah you know as to people so yeah it depends what bike you're shooting uh, be beautifully put T bring it brought a tear to my eye <laughs> so Country Master is asking, how is motorcycle photography evolving in 2023? Oh, that's above my pay grade. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Go on, give how, it a crack. How's it evolving? God. I think it's, um, I think we're going to have to go back to the sort of film element. I think people and brands are wanting that grainy old school vibe. Yeah, the the blacks and whites, the, the sort of the speed motion blur. Yeah. I think that's where it's going. And I think car photography is very, like everything has to be pin sharp, obviously 
even if you're doing motion blur, they will do several exposures of that same photo, make sure the car is pin sharp, and then they do the blur of the light separately. Whereas I think in the motorcycle industry right now, the way I'm seeing it, it you know, is slapdash kind of thing and, and just fun, which is obviously what motorbikes are, you know. Um, so yeah, I think it's slightly going back the other way to the point where it's a bit more old school. I think a lot of things going reverting back, mm. whether it's car styling, bike styling, fashion, there's a lot of industries that are taking inspiration from the past yeah. and bring it to the present. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it, Triumph doing it. There's a few watch manufacturers that are doing it. There's yeah. clothing brands that are doing it. Yeah. And uh, I think it's really cool because a lot of those styles that were phased out were essentially timeless mm. back then and bringing them back, I think it's really cool. Yeah, definitely. Well, there's a great photographer out there. Um, I don't know his last name, Kane. He's doing a lot of um, work with Bellstaff. Yeah. And he's, I'm pretty yeah. sure he's shooting a lot on film. Don't know if it's all on film, but he's doing some great stuff out there. So check him out. Find him on Instagram. <laughs> now, before we wrap things up, let's just do a quick shameless plug. If people want to find you, where do they go? <laughs> that was very kind of you to plug me. Yeah, Hatlapper, at Hatlapper. Uh, uh, that's my Instagram. you find most of my, my work there. Yeah. Um, and my website, I guess, it's just hatlapperphotography.com. Awesome. Nice and easy. And can people expect to see you behind the camera at the Mali Mile, the Mali Beach Race this year, or are you going to be on your bike? I will most likely be behind the camera. Um, I have to admit, I know you guys are trying to get me on the bike. but yeah, come um, on. Yeah. At least for one race. Yeah. No, we'll we'll see what I can do. Um, you know, I'd love to bring my bike down. I think I did one year in the very beginning. Um, but yes, probably most likely behind the camera. Well, it's Jed and I's goal this year to get you racing at least once, even if it means yeah. that one of us grabs your Triumph hat and you put on the Bell <laughs> yeah. 3 and we, we grab the camera. And but you can steal one of our bikes and That's take it for a spin. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Whoever's least precious about your bike. Oh, that'd probably be me yeah yeah true <laughs> yeah but no hard feelings if you'd rather take mine uh <laughs> right, who, who gives out more horses right now well that's a good question well, we've I had think... a few neck and neck sprints I, I, okay i think given that jed's bike has done like seventy five thousand more miles than my bike has yeah. it's a bloody good effort that his can keep up like you would have thought after that many miles the thing would just be lagging no they're very very close i mean yeah. we've had a few slip road yeah. sprints and mm. they've been neck and neck yeah i think so. on the beach it doesn't really matter right it's more technique and it is technique off the line stuff yeah. so yeah true it's all just all fun and games right that's it well will thanks for coming on thank really pleasure. really thank appreciate you your time me. no no and thank you it's been super interesting so cheers yeah no pleasure thanks guys